0: Hey, this episode is definitely for all of my stormwater nerds out there. We're going to talk a little hydrodynamic separation with a side of trash capture. Hey, everybody, welcome back to a a new episode of the Stormwater World podcast. So we're going to do a little product spotlight today. And, uh, you know, I think it's I always think it's funny when I look at some of these products uh, like the one we're going to look at today, because uh, I think you're going to see more and more of it. And you're not going to realize that this product's been around for over a decade, which is why we're here. We want to talk about these things. We want to get it out there. We want people to know what's going on. But uh, but this product is cost effective and simple as it is uh, to help you with uh, your stormwater quality. It's been around for a decade, and I, I'm willing to bet you probably haven't heard of it. So I'm so happy to uh, introduce you to uh, Lance Hoff, P.E. and CEO of Momentum Environmental out of St. Paul, Minnesota, and he's here today to talk about the uh, the preserver. Lance, welcome to the pod. Appreciate yeah. you being here.
1: Yeah, thanks. Thanks for doing it. It's a great, great thing you're doing here. So appreciate it.
0: <laughs> thanks, mm-hmm. man. Uh, so let's get it what tell us tell everyone what is what is the preserver and how about you start with because uh, I, I i've known about I, we've known each other for years and I, so i've known about the product for years as well but uh how about the name weren't the is that part of the is that part of the origin story how, how did you come up with it like how do these stormwater <laughs> quality devices yeah. come to fruition yeah. <laughs> you
1: got a brainstorm you, you spitball a little bit and um i just really we just really ended up liking it, you know. It, uh, it it fit the bill for what it did. Love the logo, um, you know. It, uh, it all just just worked out, I guess. So,
0: I love it. I do like. I do yeah. like your. I do like your logo. I do like your logo. So, so what does it? Uh, what does it do? How does it work? And how's it going to save so, me some money?
1: <laughs> yeah, the most important thing, right? Um, right. So it, it's a it's a gravity separator, an HDS unit for stormwater treatment. Um. And probably the, gosh, the best way to get into, you know, what it is and what it does is kind of talk about the origin story, like, like you're saying, like we were discussing before too. So, uh, it all started with MnDOT, um being regulated as an MS4 under NPS phase two. So as part of that, they, they needed to provide, um, reporting on, on, you know, Uh, measurable goals right measurable goal reporting so for them um, they wanted to start with taking all the infrastructure that they had already that was treating stormwater their ponds their their swales and then these gravity separators uh, and and get credit for it before they started doing additional work right so in particular with the gravity separators the hgs unit they had a little bit of a problem in that they had multiple different brands of proprietary units, um, and then each brand had multiple diameters. So so they wanted a, a test protocol or a way to calculate how much material they're getting on an annual basis in pounds of, of material removed. Uh, but it, it needed to be applied to, they wanted to be able to test each unit, look at one size, and apply the test results to all the units they had in the ground. <laughs> so um, to help them with this, they went to the University of Minnesota and St. Anthony Falls Laboratory is kind of the, the hydraulics um, end of things uh, for the University of Minnesota. So they're working with Saffle and SAFL, um basically started by researching existing test protocols and, and could they take an existing test protocol and apply it to the needs of, of MnDOT. And it, after doing some research, um, they really, I guess number one, they kind of looked at what what, what do we need to really get a, an accurate estimate of what's being removed in a, in a year. And they said, we need to know with these units in particular, how good they're removing material during your low flows. So then we also need to know how well they're retaining that material when, the, when the high flows, when the rare storms come along, right? And frequent events. Right. So they took that kind of thought process and went out looking and, and found, you know, say 80% removal of OK 110 which was real popular back then. That's more of an event based, um, removal, uh, target and, and testing protocol. There was no, no testing for what happened during high flow. So, so that didn't fit the bill. There's also NJDEP, uh, that's been around for a long time. That's similar in that it's testing removal efficiencies at low flows, uh, but then it's, it is created an annualized removal efficiency, uh, but, it, but it's kind of based on the, the rainfall specific to New, Jer- New Jersey, right? So it's New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection. And they do testing for higher flows, but, but not to the extent that would be needed to predict what happens at the, those large rare storms, just a little bit of cursory. And then and the other thing that that didn't do was incorporate the findings into calculation of how that, that device works on an annual basis. So they kind of tested it said, hey, it'll work and not scour too bad. Um, so here's a removal efficiency with, with neglecting how much that scour affects the removal efficiency. That's just not incorporated. So, um, after the researchers at the, at SAPL kind of looked at that, they said, you know, we, I think we're, we're starting from scratch here, um, to get what we, what we want or what we need for Minda. And, uh, after that, they, they started with testing these devices. They tested some in the field using hydrant flow. So they kind of closed it off and made a closed system. So no rainwater, not the traditional kind of just waiting for a storm to happen and and monitoring. Right. And they're running controlled flow through, gathering samples and and doing more of a controlled experiment. Then they also took devices and brought them into the lab and tested them. Tested them in the lab uh, using the same protocol. And some of the interesting findings initially from that first round of testing was. Uh, you know what the industry was kind of saying then is, in particular, the swirl separators. You know, uh, swirling water increases removal efficiencies, with the uh, idea that it's giving a longer travel path before the water, say a single drop of water, before it can get out, gives it more time to, to drop out sediment. And the testing reflected that it actually the swirl separators uh, perform better than than all the other devices tested. So that that was kind of a cool thing that. You know, hey, hey, that this is reflecting what 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 we assumed was happening in in uh, the market. So from there, went on to test high flows, and that that was more eye opening, really. And because we were testing high, you know, some of these devices tested flows up say, sixteen cfs, so uh, or or greater in some cases. And whereas the highest test flow. Say in an NJDP that does scour testing, it's less than four CFS. So you're talking about multiples of, of the amount of flow to kind of see what happens during those extreme events. So, um, and what we saw is, and this is always you know, back when I was consulting and kind of specifying these units, I always had that question in the back of my mind. You know, we're swirling water, which I understand how it can re- remove, help removals, but that you know, I kind of always had in the back of your mind what what's what does happen during the big storm right because right yeah so like you know
0: yeah right
1: (laughs) in my mind i always had envisioned, you know mixing something up in a glass of water right so anytime you mix it, something you're stirring it around and and that's what you do to mix stuff up right so i just kind of had that in the back of my mind and and that's that's probably the best analogy for what the that high flow testing reflected with the with the short world separator so um and kind of as a as a control and i'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here but if you take a sump manhole and the testing for that at a high flow rate at that 16 say 16 cfs that's where a lot of them the the peak flow that was possible in the lab so a lot of them were tested up to 16 cfs if you look at that like the effluent concentration from a sump manhole is about 300 milligrams per liter um and a swirl separator uh, the ones that were tested were about two to 3,000 milligrams per liter. So, you know, eight to seven to 10 times, um, increasing the, the scour out of the unit. So that, at that point in time, now that was, that was real eye opening for the, the engineering community here in Minnesota. Because a lot of, this is happening over quite a bit of time too. I mean, all the testing probably took uh, seven years in total from start to end. So all this is kind of happening over time, testing all these different units, testing the, the removal efficiency then the scour. And so we're learning more as we go along. So at that point in time, everybody that had was using swirl separators started um, placing them offline. You'd have a diversion structure, going to the treatment structure, and a collection structure and a high flow bypass. So what it did is it ended up adding a lot of costs. It, it, it worked to prevent that resuspension during high flows, but but it just made a more complicated system, essentially. So, got it. Got it. That's, that's kind of where we were at with that. But, and, and how the Preserver came along is eventually they went on to test just plain sump manholes. They said, Hey, we want credit for sump manholes too, right? So they went and just tested okay. sump manholes. And So wait, wait. Like, let me
0: recap real quick. Let me get my yeah. let me wrap my mind around that for a second, Lance. Because like for me, yeah. I know a lot of people were tracking with you. They're going to be listening, but I'm not. You know, I didn't know I was going to need to bring a calculator to this podcast. So <laughs> let me just back up for a second and wrap my small brain around it. So, so what had happened? We have this, this testing going on and this need by uh, by, the, by the entity. I guess was it DOT? Minnesota was it Minnesota yep. DOT? Mm-hmm. And so and they're yeah. like, and so the findings out of this testing, you're like, okay, cool. Uh, if I put my spoon in my glass and I stir it up, the stuff drops to the bottom. Per- perfect, that works. If I blast that same cup with a fire hose, doesn't work as well. <laughs> doesn't work as well yeah. in the big storms. Uh, so, oh no, what do we do? And so, the initial, uh, the initial reaction was that it was like, okay, well, we got to have a system in place uh, to bypass the initial swirling because we can't handle these big flows. So we got this deferred. So now we've just increased the cost, increased the project, and increased all the things in order to get the same result and then you step in. And so that's where you're you're like, okay, so what if we could do all this retroactively in existing sump manholes and the yeah. preserver is born? Am I tracking?
1: Oh, yeah, that's exactly right.
0: Yeah. Awesome. So, sweet, sweet. Yes. Yeah, I was worried. I was worried. I was worried you completely lost me, sir, but all right, cool, cool, cool. All right. So what years, what, by the way, what years was all this occurring? When was oh gosh, all this so testing I think,
1: uh I think the testing started in 2007, was uh, okay. the outset of the testing. Okay. And probably by the time they tested sump manholes and then and then moved on to uh, looking at energy dissipators to augment sump manholes, that was right around 2012 or so, something like that. And they, gotcha. they continued to do some testing, too, so... Um, yeah, so I kind of had that seven years wrong, didn't I? A little bit less than that. But maybe from the <laughs> we don't, research and everything, it was, it was, it sir, was. We quite don't a do while, public
0: but, math. We don't do public <laughs> yeah. math on this podcast.
1: Yeah, I need a calculator <laughs> too, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> we, don't, we don't do public math.
0: But, anyways, yeah. but so that's interesting. So, out of necessity comes, you know, out of, out of necessity comes all this testing. And then, out of uh, yeah. realization of increase of cost and like, there's, you know, nobody wants to do this comes a new product. Right. Or, or, yeah. or am I getting ahead that's of bad. myself? So, so now how the how, oh, how's yeah. the birth so, yeah, of the uh, like, so the birth of the preserver?
1: Yeah. I mean, they test some manholes, and, and the long story short, they say actually you can remove some sediment with some manholes, they're not too bad. The problem is the high flows that everything scours out. Right. So, that's right. where they're kind of like, okay, this is MnDOT's the client. How can we take these some manholes MnDOT has and make them work better? So they're looking for a product that was retrofittable into some manholes and could prevent that scour from happening. Those are the primary goals. And that's where they kind of looked at the energy dissipators and it worked. So it worked to prevent the scour and it also improved removal efficiency. So you could kind of actually function on an annual basis better than a swirl separator when you account for what happens at, at high flows um, and at a fraction of the cost. You don't have to place them offline. Um, and really the components are, are less expensive too. They're, everything's priced on the size of the, the um, pipes, not the size of the structures. So um, probably my best example for that and getting to your cost question is we've swapped out a 10 foot <laughs> proprietary unit and they had quoted the contractor 55,000. We did the same thing for under 20, you know, so. Um, oh, wow. There, that's, there a, be,
0: that's a big difference.
1: Yeah, but the bigger the structure, the more of a difference there's going to be. Um, it's because we're, we're pricing on, on pipe size, but a, a small structure will have a, a cost advantage. And that, that's just, uh, it's bigger, the bigger the structure is. Yeah. So, so the, like the, the, um, testing, so kind of using the sump manhole testing as control again, it had that 300 milligrams per liter effluent concentration. I had dissipator, well, we got that down to 15 milligrams per liter at that 16 CFS. So, um, you know, it's a so, 20-fold reduction. A lot,
0: yeah. We, and, of course, the, the pod's also on, on YouTube. But since we don't have the visuals up, let, let's walk everybody through, uh, you know. So it's a two-piece product, right? But that work mm-hmm. independently of each other, if I'm correct. And you can walk let's just walk us through kind of without you know, without the visual extras i guess of um you know what does it look like so you've got a uh the the dissipator on the on the inlet side am i right like yeah. mm-hmm. i'm gonna jack it all up you you, you explain kind of everybody it's yeah. a two-piece product uh and then how that how it how it actually works and and, and looks inside of the uh inside of yeah. the sump if you will
1: yeah so it's the preserver is kind of like a system, and it, like I said, it has two components. It has the energy dissipator, which goes on the inlet or inlets, if you have multiple uh, inlets. Okay. And then you have a skimmer on that goes on the outlet. So skimmers are real common in the stormwater treatment industry. You're just trapping any floatable pollutants, um, and our skimmer operates like any other skimmer on the industry. Um, Functional-wise, it's got some benefits in that it's retrofittable and it's adjustable and things like that. but Um, function wise, it's, it's just skimming off floatables, trapping anything that floats, trash, um, oils, greases, hydrocarbons, things like that, Uh, leaves, uh, or helps with organics and stuff that kind of float when they come in. And then the dissipator, it's, it's a perforated sheet, essentially, that we connect or kind of has a curved shape, connects at the inlet. So it's got a bunch of uh, holes in it. And that's those orifices are what, Create the energy losses, and they, they kind of also work to control the flow regime in the structure and spread that flow up. makes the sump very quiet. Um, to, that, that's how it achieves that uh, sediment retention or, or low effluence concentration set. Gotcha. Uh, gotcha. gotcha. So, all right. Yeah. That so makes so sense. And, the,
0: the, and if you want to see some visuals, folks, you know, you can go to preserver.com. Um, that's P R E S E R V E R.com, or you can go to momentum. That's momentum at ENV dot com. And you can get all your visuals and, and videos and stuff there. But uh but you know, if you listen to this on a podcast, I just want everybody to understand kind of, you know, what do we you know, if you can visualize it, if you're you know, if you're in our industry, surely you can visualize what a uh, what a what a sump looks like and then you know, placing those pieces in the right place. And so not only are we knocking down some TSS, we're also taking care of some floatables. Did I hear that correctly? You're also taking care of some other things, not just the yeah. uh not just the sediment dropout.
1: Right. Well, so, yeah, when you include a skimmer, it, it addresses the floatables or it floatables. And that's part of the preserver design when we designed it. Um, we tested the dissipator to work with or without a skimmer, and that's because all HDS units on the market, they're all modified sump manholes. They all include skimming. Um And the exception is here in Minnesota, we're, primarily focusing on sediment removal and not the skimming portion and we're using these structures as pre-treatment to other bmp's that have skimming in them that, that can capture those materials so that's a cost-saving measure we don't it would it would be redundant to include a skimmer uh, so so we're we're just using the dissipator minnesota almost everywhere else we we include the skimmer because it's it's uh okay. we're competing against other hgs units we don't want that functionality in there, but it's a, it's a nice the product's real flexible, that system you only pay and you use what you need. Right.
0: Man. It, I mean, it's so simple, you know, I love it this cause it's retrofitable, right? I mean, it's like so many things in our world, like we got to add this, you know, and in our, in our, when I say in our, in our world, I mean, in our stormwater world, you got to do, it just seems like a lot of heavy lifting where you can come in and you can literally um, just put this right in. Um, and I think yeah. that's, that's huge. I mean, for for a lot of folks, especially if you didn't, especially if you didn't know that it existed, that it's out there, it's available, yeah. it's tested, it's proven. It's, there's plenty of case study out there. Yeah. You know, it's you didn't just. You didn't just pop up, and you know we've known each other for years. You've been doing this for a decade. You've got some. You've took taking it on the chin a few times, so you've kind of learned. Okay. You've had to have learned, right, yeah. from all those different ten years, and you're still here. You you know what's going on. Um, okay. Let's just touch on it real quick because I always bring it up to to everybody when they have a product, and we'll talk about that dirty word in our in our um, in our industry. But I think it's pretty straightforward, which would be maintenance. I'm assuming just back truck, pop the lid, suck it out when it's you know. Do your inspections yeah. and, and clean it out when it needs to, right? Yeah. And
1: that's, special? that's one of the benefits of the preserver too. easy to maintain. Like I said, it's just popping the lid. It's just like maintaining a sump manhole. Um, you right. just work around the components a little bit. They're open on the front and back. They're basically vertical components, so you can get in front and back of all of them with a the vacuum duct. Um, and you kind of hit on a good point there, too, is something else I was thinking is, you know, how how energy dissipators were adopted in minnesota and and a lot of the engineering community was following all this testing like i was talking about through the years and eventually what happened is the cities are the ones that really started utilizing them first and that was because and i know from watching um some other podcasts we're talking about how how many ponds there are in the world right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. So what happened is Oh man. Is, Thanks for the Minnesota plug, Lance. Appreciate <laughs> it.
0: Thanks for the plug. Go watch yeah. episode 1. Did detention ponds really oh. work or what? I don't know what we called it. I don't know. We tried yeah. to get ourselves canceled on on uh on episode 1, but you can go check it out. But uh yeah, yeah go ahead. Oh.
1: That's right. That's right. But so in Minnesota the cities um basically every time a development goes in, they 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 dedicate an easement around the pond and the cities are responsible for maintaining the pond. They basically own the pond oh, and take over all the maintenance duties. Wow, okay. So, okay. okay. So even on broad, private, like private jobs, uh, some, some ponds are owned privately, but most of them are owned by cities and maintained by cities. So the cities, you know, all these ponds went in 20, 30 years ago and now they're starting to fill up. So cities are starting to maintain them and they realize how, how costly it is. Um, and they're almost always six figures, even for a small pond and up, right? So they started realizing that and and they're following this testing, and they're like, hey let's let's they started doing the math. like if we can catch half of the sediment before it gets in the pond and just clean it with a back truck, it's way cheaper for us in the long run. right We maintain yeah. that pond every sixty years instead of every thirty years, and you run the numbers and the, and so what happened is the cities just started using it. It wasn't a requirement or anything they they wanted they wanted that cost benefit of, of doing it for the long term maintenance. And eventually what happened is we have watershed districts here. Uh, Sometimes I think in other places like it's counties, you know, the the bigger regional areas that, that have, you know, water quality requirements maybe. So they started, they started requiring them too. And what they liked about them was, so here our watershed districts are responsible for enforcing maintenance. and, to require somebody to go maintain a pond for a hundred thousand dollars was a bitter pill to swallow. You know, it was something they didn't really mm-hmm. like doing. Right. But yeah. to require him to put in pre-treatment and then go clean out a sump for a couple hundred dollars. Uh, that was, right. was much easier for them. So they really liked that aspect of it. And it took all this time, you know, of all these people using it and the state just finally made a requirement, which was like, eight oh okay. Eight, wow. You know, eight years into it or so, you know, that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, maybe even close to a decade, right? That, that they're finally on board. But what they, what they like about it is even different because they're responsible for the waters of the state and they just big picture. If you're pre-treating stormwater, everything downstream of it's working better. So they're, everybody had a different goal, but everybody. Um, ended up on this on the same page, but it was kind of interesting to see wow, from the gra- grassroots up instead of top down, yeah, so kind of cool part yeah, of that. That's interesting.
0: Too. it doesn't always happen it definitely doesn't always happen that way, but it does when you can provide a a great cost analysis like that. I mean, it's not even close. I mean, to be able to go in there and say, "Hey, it's going to cost us all this money to do X that we've been doing forever because the, cha- the 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 challenge is right the challenges is always like, oh. well, we've always done it that way. Like, oh man, I hate oh, yeah. you know, I hate when I hear that. I hate when somebody when somebody says it to me, I'm like, oh no. but yeah, uh yeah. but that's, that's a, pretty industry wide
1: yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, just
0: in the world. Just in the world. But wow. but yeah, uh, but yeah I, I think that's great to have that kind of big that's a huge savings. Um and and be able to show that on paper um and and uh, and see it come to fruition that you're you're actually been able to save money on your on your pension pond uh maintenance due to being on a pre treat uh upstream. That's awesome. Um so, you know, ten years ten years in and you know, we're trying to get the you know, we're trying to get the word out here, right? Like I'm trying to I'm always here for the for the the underdog, the little guy. Um
1: Thank you. Appreciate
0: Especially on these these great products that are obviously cost effective, but you know what are the challenges that, that, that you, that you find yourself up against as far as, you know, a smaller manufacturer trying to, to fight the good fight in stormwater quality? Um, you want to, you want to touch on any of that or kind of how, how you, you know, you want to talk about some of the, the shots to the chin you've taken over the years and what you're probably going through now and it's kind of what, what it's like to, to be that, uh, Oh, man, I can't believe I'm going to say this. A small fish in a big pond. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, sorry. I think I'm funny. Go ahead.
1: Go ahead, Lance. No, seriously,
0: (laughs) what what kind of challenges are you up against in trying to get the word out on your product to get
1: the the market share that you probably deserve? You probably have hit the nail on the head. (laughs) The biggest one right there is just getting the word out. I mean, um, I I think last year it kind of floored me because we we have to have a good uh, market presence in Minnesota here. Um, and we were growing out from, from there right? from our home base, but I think I had a, an engineer that didn't know what our product was on a on a project here last year. And it's like, Oh, it's been nine years, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's, it, Man- it was a engineer in Minnesota. Yeah. It was in the state. In Minnesota, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, I mean, even, even that close to home, it, you, you don't get full coverage. Right. And, and it just wanes as oh, you, yeah. you kind of go out geographically. So. That's that's probably been the biggest hurdle and um we found you just really need a champion for the for the project in, in in any location. So anytime we have somebody that um understands the product and is out there pushing it, um it's pretty easy to sell. We've got some pretty good information on performance and um coming in as alternates as some of the more traditional uh HTS units. So we have good success if we have somebody out there looking for projects. So that's it's just kind of getting the word out. That's probably our biggest thing. Um, the other thing, you know, and stormwater in general is is a little tricky. You know, you look at, um <laughs> like, we, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. you look at the other utilities. Yeah. look at the other utilities, you know, drinking water and sanitary sewer and all that. You, you know, everybody needs that. Everybody needs to do something with that. Stormwater is kind of, Something people just don't really want to deal with. Haven't? You know, it's it's another until their house starts
0: to flood, right? Until their house starts to flood, yeah. Or they can't go to the beach, Then they're like, "What's going on?" Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. exactly. Yep. So, and, and it's always going to kind of be like that to some extent because water quality is more important in some areas than other areas. And you look at you know sediment filling up Chesapeake Bay or reservoirs, and you've got, um, you got you want to protect salmon uh, in the Pacific Northwest. You know, in Minnesota, we we want to control LG and and are looking at phosphorus, and then oh. LA, it's mm-hmm. trash, right? So every trash, yep, every region has uh, their own problems, and and they have specific requirements for that. So that that's kind of the the first part of that problem, and that's that's not just our problem; that's everyone's problem. So you're kind of dealing, you're always kind of dealing with something different in different areas, and um, and then. But more problematic to that is, you know, we've seen a lot of, like a lot of industries, we've had a lot of consolidation recently. So you have um, basically just three big water quality manufacturers right now that are kind of driving market forces. Um, you got like ADS bot, Bay Saver, and Contech, Disbot, Fortara, Bioclean, and um, what, Old Castle bot, Hydro International. So you got these three big crazy, companies. Man, it's crazy. Oh, yeah.
0: I feel yeah, like I've crazy. I've been watching that, uh I've been watching that consolidation for the ten, twelve years I've been in the industry. It's crazy. Yeah. That's,
1: yeah. Wow. So there's not there's not a whole lot of us little people left, really. <laughs> I mean, a, yeah. there's a handful. Do you feel like
0: do you feel like you know, in that in that thought, do you do you feel like when that happens, I mean I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing or or just is a thing and it's just it's just the way of the the world that we live in. Do you feel like when that happens, it, t- it tends to stifle innovation? You know, do you feel like these big companies are innovating or do you feel like they're just, they've got some things, uh, they're going to sell what they've got and it, and it hurts yeah. uh, the person that comes up with an idea. I mean, obviously you didn't come up with this idea yesterday. We've said, we've said it right. multiple times already. Decade, you know, we're a decade in and here you are fighting against these monsters. Um, you know, what? how do you feel about that? Like, do it, Hey, do you have an opinion on?
1: Yeah, like, I think just in general, that's kind of a tough one, I, I guess. I think about it, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. Um, and the big companies, the the big companies to me, they're machines. We we've worked with a couple of them, and there's so many layers of, of management, and mm-hmm. in some of those big companies, that they're really they're really just a machine. They're not. They don't have ill intent, or you know, necessarily. Bad intent and in you they're just profit driven really you know so so they're mm-hmm. gonna they're gonna protect their own interests um if they're making money doing it a certain way they want it to stay that way so in that regard that would stifle innovation that came from outside their company but if they have something in it, you know they're all developing products too so if they are developing something that's innovative, it's also gonna be promoted pretty quickly and get out to the market true. pretty quickly so I guess it's a it's a little bit of a double edged story. So, the, if they do it themselves, they're pro innovation. If it comes from outside, they're going they're usually going to try to stifle it, right? So, so yeah. the the I guess the antidote for the the you know where they're trying to stifle outside competition is where we've had our success, especially starting out as a new company. We we really had to have the early adopters of of a new technology. So, really appreciative of the people that you know, said, Hey, we're going to, we're going to re- we're going to take that product. We're going to give you a shot. And we worked real closely with them, made sure stuff was working well. And that, you know, we, we couldn't have gotten up and running without those early adopters. So anybody watching this that, you know, wants to promote innovation, that's probably the best way to do it, right. Is, is keep an eye out for new technologies, especially some, some of these uh, smaller companies and, and help support them and, and promote those products. So preserver's probably not there anymore we we've been around for a long time like you pointed out for, we we're over that hump but you know um uh, that's would good say- then but, yeah, you I mean, know, it, but like you said,
0: it, you know, it's, it, you, you feel like you're over that hump in it, but you got an engineer in your own state that just is clueless, uh, of you know. knowing that you're out there. So like, you yeah. yeah, see Lance is a nice guy, everyone. He's a nice guy. He's, a, he's an engineer by trade. I'm surrounded by engineers in my life. And so I'll be the loudmouth and just say, Hey, go check out the preserver, go to the mm-hmm. website, check it out, bookmark it, at least know that it exists so that you could look for an opportunity to save some money right? And to yeah. check, and to try it out, right? Let's, let's go. He's yeah. got the data. In 10 years, you've got the data. These things are in the ground, um, doing what they're supposed to do, right. um, and, uh, in and, and the pretreatment aspect of, uh, water quality. So let's, you know, let's make it happen. But, um, did you want to talk about any, any, any testing? I, I, I know we had talked about, well, we kind of talked a lot about testing, um, you know, earlier, but, uh, I guess I don't know if we kind of drew a, a good line for everybody about just that there's just so many testing and that not all tests are created equal and that not, you know, there's not a one size fits all. Do you just want to yeah. give a kind of come back to that, just kind of put a bow on yeah. that for everybody so they understand um, your, your, your take on the testing environment in our industry? And
1: maybe this, this is probably a good way to give an example of stifling innovation, too. So um, talk about those big three Manufacturers, right? So every single one of them has an HDS unit that's been tested at the University of Minnesota by by the University of Minnesota using that the same test protocol that that led to the development of the preserver. um But their their results for their swirl separators, you know, aren't favorable. So they're they're obviously not going to promote that. They're all aware of it, but they're they're not going to promote it, right? So right. um, they're they're going to promote the the test protocol that reflects favorably on their unit and you know th- that's understandable like i said they're they're gonna protect what they have and where they make their profits but um you know I, for the industry I, I think it's a it's a negative right because we found a better way to do it we found a better uh, w- we discovered that you know you have to test higher flow rates to really know how these devices are working that's one thing about the you know if you look at the hierarchy of treatment these HDS okay. units are probably, if you're going to do a treatment train, they'd be the first thing. They probably provide the lowest level of treatment overall. Then you kind of go to filters and infiltration and, and you know, then you go to chem- chemical augmentation and you kind of work your way up the ladder. But um, because they're kind of at the bottom, because they treat such high flows, I think, is, is the reason that, you know, you kind of see all this controversy because, uh, you know, all, all those other devices, very low flows, the testing very straightforward. But with the, with ah. the testing of the HDS units, historically, just the way the protocols were developed, it, it just, they really just tested the low flow rates and it's just kind of propagated forward. And, and because people aren't aware of the, the University of Minnesota testing, we, you know, they, they don't understand the importance of how those high flows affect overall effectiveness of these
0: devices that's what i wanted everybody to hear i mean we kind of i felt like we danced around it maybe a little bit in the beginning but that's the that's the big key difference right or maybe i just wasn't i mean hopefully i was listening i'd like to think i was listening it's just you and i but uh you know is that that high flow test rate that's the difference you know that's the i mean because it's just
1: Mm -hmm.
0: i mean that's part of the game. The first 10 the first 10 minutes or the big flush or whatever you want to call it, or just the big, or the big, the big storm event. I guess maybe even the the first so many minutes of a rain event are kind of irrelevant because it, it, they, you know, any rain events, a rain event, but some of these big storms and we keep seeing them more and more. I mean, I live in Southeast Texas, so it's, it's either, it's either pouring or it's, or it's drought, right? So we just get these yeah, in, right. huge intense storms uh, mm-hmm. outside of the, you know, hurricane season where we get these tropical, these crazy storms. So mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just something to think about um, that. Uh, and I think it's a key point to what, you know, the preserver is able to bring to the table, uh, especially, you know, as, you know, or whatever, as an alternative solution, as a, as a different solution, as a outside the boxes, don't check the boxes. Don't do it. the way you've always done it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Take a well, look I mean, at this idea. That's,
1: what that's kind of what we're up against is some of these old test protocols there. Check the box. It's the easy button for the, for the engineer and the owner. And, um, but kind of our point to everybody is we're also the easy button. So we could, we could be side by side. We think the testing is more accurate. We can verify it with our field monitoring and, um, we just think it's a better option. So, um, it's, it's much more holistic. It's, it's the most accurate testing methodology and protocol, um, on the market, really. So. To, uh, nice word out right there.
0: There, there like it is. Send. He says it's. He say it's. He's dropping bombs, y'all. He says it real nice and sloth and steady, mm. but he's just he just told you what 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 he's got going on. But um, hey, look, everyone. I'm not trying to sell you the preserver. I'm just trying to get you to 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 just. I don't know. I just I just don't like that that phrase, man. I just don't like. We've always done it that way, or 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 whatever. You know, there's so many great. Products out there um, that can save you time money and actually make a difference uh, in the water quality that you just got to be willing um, you know and that's what that's what we're trying to do here uh quite honestly mm-hmm. again, not trying to sell you a preserver, just trying to bring the the value out there, trying to bring the word out there so that at least you uh, at least you know it exists so wow. that you can try to take advantage of some of this technology that's out there. Lance, where do you see so ten years what's the next ten years going to look like? in our industry? Is there going to be one company? Oh, is, there, no. <laughs> is there going to be one big company? No, what, what, do, you, what do you think, that what, what's the future look like for Momentum Environmental and for the stormwater uh, treatment uh, industry as a whole? What, put on your, your future yeah, hat, well, tell me what you uh, think.
1: I guess Momentum, I probably have a better finger on the pulse with, but <laughs> you know, when, we, when we, <laughs> we started the company and we went down the, the product development path, we always envisioned having more than one product. and I kind of, it kind of goes back to the other podcast too. It's like, wow, you know, it took so long to get even to where we're at now. And I feel like we just scratched the surface that, um, we're, we're just finally starting to get into, um, you know, development of our second product. So, um, you know, hopefully we have a line, hopefully we have a line of products. That'd be great. Um, and to, you know, as far, as far as the industry as a whole, you know, and like I said, I, hopefully what the big takeaway from the podcast is, is, you know there there is going to be a whole hopefully a whole lot new technology that comes out and ideally people are are you know fostering innovation because there's there's got to be better ways to target even the new uh, pollutants that we're seeing you know it's we've got a little bit of a moving target it's like oh yeah you know it's just sediment to start with then it's nutrients then it's heavy metals and we're on to you know the next pollutant, right? And and who knows what's after that? So we're really going to have to, yeah. you know, keep an open mind and give some new technologies a chance. There's got to be a way to um, get them in the ground and and monitor them and and help out uh, that innovation, right? Uh, and for the future of the industry, that that's part of it. And just like everything else, I just see technology being a bigger part of our industry. So um, I think before is probably ahead of head of the curve on that one but uh we're, oh yeah hey shout out to P4 yeah.
0: Infrastructure. Yeah. yeah they got a lot of good yeah. good tracking devices
1: they do they they do and i see i see just a lot more of that in the market we you know stormwater that's the third utility the cities they can sit and look at their scada systems and know exactly what's going on with their water supply and sanitary sewers and um the the Same's probably going to be happening with storm sewer eventually you know probably probably more so in some areas like pacific northwest than than others i i see it happening there first you know but or more and more i should say so uh, that technology that's gonna that's gonna be a part of our industry for sure that's that's my <laughs> guess that's what yeah, I said.
0: Oh no, that's your that's your that's your crystal ball. That's your that's what you think is your is your crystal ball. Uh, I see I don't know. See, I don't know if you guys are paying attention and gals and folks out there, you know, you just gotta pay attention to what Lance has said. He's dropping some little nuggets on us. And what I feel like I heard him say that is he hints he's hinting he's hinting at another product coming out in the uh in the in uh momentum environmental uh family. So uh we're hoping here in Stormwater World that we're gonna get a chance to uh to unveil that. Uh, if if I'm if I'm reading the tea leaves right, I think that's what I heard him say. So uh Lance, I hope you'll come back and when you're ready to launch that product you'll uh you'll you'll come back on the pod and tell us all about it.
1: So I'd love to. That'd be great. Appreciate it. Ah see I knew that's what I heard.
0: Yeah so see that's (laughs) kind of confirmation. So it's something's going on
1: something's (laughs) happening.
0: So something's happening out there in the background. I thought, you know, you, you were kind of dancing around there again. So I don't want to, I'm just going to recap and just go straight after it and be like, Oh, we've got something else down the, coming down the pipe that he doesn't want to name, but, uh, that is definitely happening. Um, sir, I, it's always a pleasure. It's good to see you, even if it's in this virtual format, it's well, good to talk to you on the pod. I, I appreciate you sharing your information. Um, What's the easiest way for folks to get in touch with you if they've got questions about uh, be it, you know uh, momentum environmental or about the preserver? Uh
1: what I mean? Should they probably LinkedIn. It's Lance Hoff, uh LinkedIn um. FF, and uh we have two websites, one's for the company, uh, momentumenv.com, that's env chart for environmental. And then we got one for our product, which is thepreserver.com
0: got you got you we'll put all that in the show notes too we'll link all that for you in the show notes uh any parting thoughts any final thoughts anything we missed that you would like to share with the listeners um, on stormwater life preserver water quality mm-hmm. anything uh, anything around so around that i, I didn't get
1: no, you did a good job. What's like that? i feel like i've gotten everything <laughs> we, off my chest how about you You that's
0: all that that made my day right there that's all i wanted to hear that you feel you feel cleansed and that you got everything off your chest <laughs> yeah. folks that's it we appreciate you lance i appreciate you coming on the pod thank you so much sir well,
1: thank you thank you for having it we
0: appreciate it for sure thanks Thank you for listening to this episode of the Stormwater World Podcast. Do you have something you'd like to discuss? Do you have an opposing opinion regarding something you heard during this episode? Let's talk about it. Click on the link in the show notes to sign up for a future episode. I'd love to visit with you about what's happening and how you see things unfolding in your stormwater world.